spelled just like my name here, hungtgirl.com. You make sure you enable the Adobe Flash Player. It's free to do that. And the videos will automatically start playing for you and you'll get more of them. It's adult stuff, so I'm not going to let it play here. But you get the idea. You can check out me and my friends and um, get a subscription, make a donation, or just enjoy the free content. All of the above are very much appreciated. I thank you for that. You can also check out the Naked Truth pages there and the Living Water Chapel pages there and get an idea of what it is we do here with the Naked Truth. And that is focus on a different side that I believe exists in all of us. I know it exists in me. And that's the spiritual side. And I personally identify, self-identify as a Christian, meaning that I believe in any given situation, you should let Jesus have the last word on how you should deal with the situation or people, as it were. Um, it's named for Christ, so why wouldn't you give him the last word? And it turns out what he has to say about things is very different than what m m the rest of the Bible has to say about things. And particularly very different than what many churches will tell you or even your family, what you may even think yourself um, Jesus may have said about things. So anyway, that's what we do here on the Naked Church. And to, we're going to pick up where we left off on Matthew chapter 20. And before we get into it, there's actually one other thing I was going to back Well. Well, I'll do it now. That way I don't forget later. The one lesson, I don't know if we went over it, um, from chapter 19 of Matthew was about, believe it or not, Jesus went over incels and celibacy. I do remember we went over it. If you want to read about that, since the incels and that sort of thing is in the news now with them having guns going crazy and shooting up places, um, it, you may want to see what Jesus has to say about it. Um, so anyway, that was a couple of readings ago. Um, the last time we were in Matthew um, in chapter 20 um, the passage that stood out to me there it was about clout chasing in case you don't know what that means that's like a modern day term for trying to get get up in the world and um, maybe even just by knowing the right people and let me see instead of doing the right thing ah, here we go and so Jesus this was the passage that stood out to me in that reading where um, a couple of the disciples decide, they had, they came to Jesus and they had a request, they're like, in heaven, basically, they're saying in his kingdom, can they sit on his right and on his left, sort of like, and be exalted in that sense, like have thrones. And Jesus was like, ah, that's not, here's what he says. So he said to them, you will indeed, so first he turns them down and says not for him to give. Um, so that lets us know that Jesus has limitations as to it. Although we think of him as being almighty, God being almighty, and Jesus and God being one. But Jesus clear, makes it clear here that everything's not within his power to do. And here's an example. He says this here. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup, meaning they would also be uh, martyred, crucified, killed, and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. That's what he's saying when he says the, bap the baptism that's being martyred. Um, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared for, by my Father. So it lets us know that that's one thing that specifically that Jesus lets us know is outside of the realm of his control and his um, power to grant. So when we have, say, our prayers and request things and don't always get them, if there may be reasons for it beyond us not having enough faith to pull it off. Um, um, so anyway, that's what we went over in Matthew chapter 20. Um, we're going to pick start up in Matthew chapter 21, if you'd like to read along. 
Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, so now we have Jesus is on the move, and um, of course the disciples are with him, and he's saying, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her loose them and bring them to me so i've mentioned this before it's like the video game um when they send you on a mission and tell you to go here then go there then go on the mission same thing the disciples were being sent on a specific mission but jesus already had things prearranged with people along the way without even um, physically interacting with them so it lets you know that um more um jesus's power is beyond what's said and if anyone says anything to you, you should say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. So Jesus says, just in case you encounter someone on the mission I send you, here's this specific message to carry with you and to give them. Same thing with us. This, he left us these red letters as believers, as the specific message for when we run into encounters along the way with people who are curious about Christianity, curious about God, curious about what it is you believe you can't just point to anything in the bible as your christian belief because there's contradictions but if you're going to be a christian and claim jesus as the savior then it's really his word that you have to be able to point to and share all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying tell the daughter of zion behold your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey a colt the foal of a donkey so you see how it's offset here it's referring to an old testament passage and the writer here is letting us know because you know it's not in red letters so it's not jesus saying it it's the writer here letting us know um that they believe this to be the fulfillment of this passage from the old testament that um so that you'll know when you try to look through the bible in the old testament to see where it says that oh jesus is coming or the messiah is coming or christ is coming or any of that this is where the writer here is letting us know that this he believes or they believe this passage to be pointing to jesus fulfilling this passage when he got the donkey from them and um rode into the city jerusalem so the disciples went and did as jesus commanded them so uh, uh they brought the donkey and the colt laid their clothes on them and set him on them and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road so you know every year um well before coronavirus anyway um churches would do this you'd see some of them have palm sunday where you spread out the you'll see them with the palm leaves and stuff that's what it's pointing back to that's what it's uh commemorating then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest so that hosanna as far as i've been able to under research it means save now so basically they're they're praising god and um the son of david part is them recognizing that jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy from the old testament so it's the second time the writer's letting us know that they believe this is fulfillment of old testament prophecy and the prophecy of um of um of the son of david the king of the jews as it's called in the bible a king coming from the jewish people basically they believe that's the, the that jesus is the fulfillment of it um, but a king that will reign forever, not just uh, an earthly king. They know that they believe he's the spiritual. He's the fulfillment of that spiritual prophecy. 
and that's why they're doing these things and that's what the Palm Sunday commemorates um, sort of basically giving praise uh, let's see and when he had come into Jerusalem all the city was moved saying who is this and so the multitude said this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth the Galilee so here they know his name um, but they're still not generally they're calling him a prophet so that means they understand he has some sort of divinity working through him whether they accept him as the son of God or the savior the Christ the Messiah clearly that's not what the, this person who was asked who is he is identifying him as but he is identifying the person is identifying Jesus as a prophet and generally the only way someone could really be considered a prophet it's not like nowadays where you'll turn on a TV and you'll see them hit someone in the head and make them get up and shake and that sort of thing back then it was actual miracles or actually being able to predict the future actually being able to in some cases it seemed like magic and maybe we'll make that uh, one of the readings once these um, make it one of the topical readings but magic even is even in, mentioned in the Bible so um, in the Old Testament probably in the New too but I know for sure in the Old but anyway um, so they're pointing the, to the fact that this is uh, a prophet let's see then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. So it's one of the few times you see Jesus lose it and sort of go nanners and flipping over tables and driving people out. And in one, in one of the gospels it says he even had a whip of cords that he used to drive the people out. So it lets you know um, even Jesus had an angry side. But notice what it is that made him angry. It wasn't trannies in the church. It wasn't gay men sleeping together it wasn't any of that it wasn't same-sex marriage it wasn't it was corrupt religious corrupt religion bad religion that's what made jesus go off and you see it here what he does is he drives out the 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 rituals of that religion the fact that you need to consider how much money you have before you go there because you're going to need to buy a sacrifice whether it be the doves or the ox or whatever it is you're going to purchase from the temple to be um, sacrificed you have to think about all that stuff when what you're supposed to be thinking about is I'm going to this place because I believe it gets me closer to God then that's what your focus is supposed to be on when you seek um, when you seek God it's supposed to be on God not on how much money do I need to take with me and what do I need to make sure I purchase there but it's all established in the Old Testament so again if you're gonna call yourself Christian you can't possibly live in peace by trying to live by the entire Bible because it contradicts itself um, in places so you have to choose and if you're a Christian Jesus should get the last word um, I believe anyway so um, Jesus has turned the place out he's flipped over tables he's um, driven out the animals that the people had to come there and purchase for sacrifice He's undoing the business that they've turned the church into, which is what's wrong now in the world. And you can see it now, this uh, horrible preacher defending the president um, while attacking someone. It makes no sense at all. It makes no sense at all. It, I think Jake Klepper is the one who did the interview, and it's amazing. Highly recommend it. Do a search of his, and you'll see uh, it's ridiculous. A bovine crab in thinking anyway sitting there being interviewed giving the most ridiculous defenses for the indefensible while attacking 
something that's completely irrelevant. But you'll see. It, it makes no sense. But it's the one thing that may tick Jesus off enough to turn the place out. Bad religion. And you see it's no shortage of it nowadays. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. I know this part without having to scroll it down. So Jesus is upset. And what is he upset about? He's upset that the fact that they're doing business in the church. And you can see the same thing happening now when there are telethons. And there's nothing wrong raising funds, but the church isn't supposed to be the place for it. The church is supposed to be the place to come closer to God. And a telethon asking for help, nothing wrong with that. But bake sales, rummage sales in the church, that's just not what it's for. That's not what it's supposed to be for. That's not what it should be on somebody's mind when they're approaching uh, God or church or, or trying to get the message. And again, if someone's if it's on someone's mind to give, it's got to be freely given, just like Jesus says, freely receive, freely give. Other than that, it's that's not what the church is supposed to be open for. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying and saying Hosanna to the son of David they were indignant and said to him do you hear what he's saying so now you see they're not pleased the religious people they there's a jealousy we've read about it we read about it on Saturday nights and that reading with the Acts of Pilate how it's straight up jealousy it's they're not denying that Jesus has the power and did perform the miracles that he did even raising from people from the dead some of his enemies even witnessed it so they're not denying that at all um, but what they are is saying that well they're jealous of it and they want to shut it down and partly because you can imagine you can see now if Jesus is throwing out what they're doing for business of telling people to come there and make sure you okay you need two cows three sheep and uh, two chickens or whatever to make up for whatever it is you owe the Lord you can see why a lot of people wouldn't even want to go to church um, and of course it's not church synagogue temple whatever it is that you consider your holy place that that's not what that's not what should be at the forefront of your thoughts of your mind when you're approaching God that's a good way to turn a lot of people away from God um, but I don't know you see here that's the one time when Jesus got upset and it's because they've turned the church into a business um, and he said to them do you hear what these are okay so they're ticked off that the, the even the children are praising and recognizing who Jesus is that's what the religious people are doing and Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? So Jesus is like, yeah, I hear them. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've perfected praise. So then Jesus uses, this is one of the times where Jesus uses an Old Testament verse. It's not the Old Testament to them, of course, because the Bible hadn't been formed yet at, that, at the time this is recorded. But um, orally. But um, Jesus is saying here, He's pointing back to an Old Testament verse. I think it's Psalm 19, Psalm 19, 40, maybe Psalm 10, maybe Psalm 9. It's in the book of Psalms that Jesus is pointing to here for them. So as a reference to let them know another fulfillment of this chapter of that you profess to be teaching and uh, preaching. And that is out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you perfected praise. So Jesus is saying, hearing the children there giving praise and recognizing that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the son of David. 
He's like, yeah, God has already prearranged that. And just so you know, there's a prophecy about it in your holy book. That's what Jesus did there. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany. So you see there another confrontation with religious people. And he lodged there. Uh, now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. Okay, so you can imagine this. If you're on the road traveling and you um, get hungry and see an apple tree. In this case, it's a fig tree. And you know it's an apple tree because maybe you've gotten apples from it before. Or maybe you can recognize the trees for their leaves or whatever. But you get to it and it doesn't have any apples on it. In this case, it didn't have any figs on it. So it seems like an extreme response. For Jesus to um, declare the tree barren because it didn't have any fruit on it. And you'd have to wonder, you'd have to know if Jesus is God, one with God, and sent by God. Jesus absolutely must know um, what trees are, which, what trees are, which tree is which, and what seasons are, and if there's even going to be fruit on it, and even be able to prearrange for fruit to be on that tree. So you have to imagine that this happens for a reason this isn't just um by chance that jesus comes to this tree in particular and it doesn't have any fruit on it and it's disappointing and he ends up um saying this about it if there's a reason for it Let's see and here's the lesson of it and when the disciples saw it they marveled saying how did the fig tree wither away so soon so um you could imagine i didn't mention a part it withered when he, Jesus said that the um, tree withered, meaning it, it basically rotted out. It wasn't gonna. It was dead. It died at that moment. Um, and so the disciples were wondering, well, how is that possible? What was this mean? Why did you curse the fig tree? Basically, so Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this. mountain be removed and be cast into the sea it will be done so jesus is saying here that we have to have faith in anything we do but he's saying namely i think here uh, the lesson of victory is that he came to these people who are supposed to be his own people um devout religious people but at every turn they've chased him off they've tried to stone him they've tried to throw him over a cliff and then eventually as we know they end up um, crucifying him and even with the people standing there who received the miracles and stuff they stood by and claimed crucify him crucify him but so Jesus is saying here I think in making the fig tree wither he says in the same way he came seeking fruit from this people who are supposed to be the religious devout holy people and instead of that he finds no fruit at all and all he finds is them making it a business making church a business making their synagogue their temple their holy place a business where all they're trying to do is get the people to come there and buy whatever it is they need to sacrifice the sheep the goats the lambs the chickens whatever it is that's why jesus got upset and turned it off one of the few places where you see that happen and whatever things you ask in prayer believing you will receive so jesus lets us know when it comes to prayers and faith and receiving what it is we're looking for you have to have faith and that doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to get it. That's what he showed us 
with the last chapter in 20 where the two disciples were clout chasing asking to basically have thrones in heaven and he was like no you're not going to get that it's not mine to give and then after he did that he also did something that i don't know if you've ever seen the movie the Wishmaster. it's almost like what an evil genie would do he he said oh are you able to do the same thing i do bear the same suffering that he's gonna bear and they were like yeah we're able to do it so then he grants that yeah okay you're gonna go through the same suffering and they end up being also crucified or martyred but then they still don't get what it is they asked for so it seemed a little shady anyway that's what happened in the last chapter so let's see jesus is letting us know faith is a necessary component um just saying you're christian or pretending to be religious that's not going to be enough that may be enough to get what it is you seek from other people but that's going to be your only reward now when he came into the temple the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority so here it is again the religious people are confronting jesus and asking him what's up what's your mission what are you doing um and instead of Acknowledging the fact that they've witnessed the miracles, they've witnessed him raise people from the dead, they've witnessed him heal people and cure people and even make people's bodies whole. They've witnessed all this stuff, but instead of following him around and marking off the prophecies being fulfilled from what they call their own holy book, instead they look for fault and again and again harass him and, as we know, eventually crucify him. But it doesn't stop his mission. But Jesus answered and said to them, I will, also, I also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. So this is one of the things you see Jesus often do when he's confronted by religious hypocrites or whoever it is who's trying to attack him. And usually it's the religious hypocrites. He would usually use their own bad religion against them or answer a question with a question. And that's what he does here. So he says the baptism of John, where was it from? from heaven or from men so john this being referred to here is john the baptist and i think at this point i'm pretty sure it's chapter 21 john has already been he's already done his mission as elijah and that's that whole reincarnation uh reading that we went over of jesus actually saying that's who he is um uh, so that's the john that's being referred to here the john the baptist so jesus is saying uh, asking them a question was John the Baptist God sent, or was it just something that he felt in his own heart? Let's see. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? So they're thinking among themselves, on one hand, we can say, Okay, God sent him, John the Baptist was, was legitimate. But then if we say that, then why didn't we believe in his message but if we say from men we fear the multitude for all count john as a prophet so then they say well we can't say that he wasn't god sent because the people will turn on them so they answered jesus and said we do not know so they thought that instead of just giving a direct answer they'd be able to just sort of slither out of it and still get jesus to respond to what it is they're asking so let's see if that works by saying that they don't know when you know good and well they know they just don't want to say and he said to them neither will i tell you by what authority i do these things 
So I let you know, even though Jesus tells us, ask and you shall receive, here's the case. They asked and they didn't receive the answer to what it is, but it came with a condition. They didn't answer his own question because it would mean admitting their own hypocrisy. And you know, that's something most people aren't ready to do. Most people will not hold up a mirror to themselves to see what it is they're doing, but it's easy to point at someone else. It's just the evil human nature. Let's see. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. So Jesus is giving us here, it's not a parable. He doesn't say it's a parable. He said someone literally had two sons. And he's saying, um, this is what happened. He's going to his sons, telling them to work in his business. It'd be like the president telling his two sons, or two of his sons, to work today at his uh, hotel. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. So one son says, no, he's not with it. He's not going to do it. But then he regrets not doing what his dad wanted him to, and he does it. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. He answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. So the second one just gave lip service. So which one do you think? Well, that's what Jesus' question is going to be. So you have two sons. One says, no, they're not going to do what you ask them to. But then they have a change of heart and do it. And then you have another son who tells you just what you want to hear, um, but actually doesn't do anything at all. Which of the two did the will of his father? So that's Jesus' question to them. They said to him, the first. So they believed that the one who said no, but then had a change of heart, was the one who actually did right. They said to him the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. So that's another teaching that's rarely taught in churches about the word harlot means what we our modern day word for hoes or prostitutes or whores. They're all they all mean the same word. Um, sex workers. And they're not limited to women, females. Um, but um, here Jesus is saying very clearly that before these people who consider themselves holy will get into heaven, tax collectors who are pretty much universally hated will get in, get there. And then also harlots, people who are pretty much despised, and I know how that is, will also get there. So again, it's very rarely taught in churches, but it's Jesus' own words. And as a person who calls yourself Christian, you have a choice. You can believe what Jesus says, or you can hold on to whatever tr tradition it is You've been in doctrine to believe. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe. So Jesus is saying, here's basically what convicts them. And answering the question they refused to answer about John the Baptist at the same time. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So he's saying that's what's going to convict you. The fact that you recognize, you refuse to say that John was heaven sent. So that's the first thing. That's the first offense. And you won't even say, okay, well, he wasn't. And we still did what we did to him, you know, because they beheaded John the Baptist. But he's saying, um, John came to you righteously doing what you would consider the right thing as a holy man even baptizing people, and that wasn't enough to make them believe. That wasn't enough to convert them. But he's saying it was enough to make tax collectors, who are generally hated, and harlots, who are generally despised, um, did have faith and believe. And he's saying that's how come such people will get into heaven before they will. And again, it's rarely taught in churches, but it's Jesus' own words. 
you can believe what you want. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. So Jesus here seems to be giving us a... Um, oh yeah, he's saying here another parable. Okay, so the last one was a parable also. He's saying in this parable, you're, you can imagine someone who owns a garden or some sort of business. And he's leaving people to management, manage it. And in this case, it's a vin vineyard. It's where people, where wine is produced, basically. And in case you don't know it, wine comes from fruit, comes from grapes, generally. So that's what they're saying here. It's a vineyard of grapes, and he's leaving it to his servant. Excuse me. Now, in vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might so you can imagine here actually it's more like a sharecropping situation where one person owns the land and other people work it. Um, because some people just have a green thumb and are better with that and some people have the money and can back it. Whatever the reason, that's how it is. And at the vintage, they share. So he's sending his workers to see what was this year's crop like. Um, let's see. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So now in this parable, Jesus, I don't know if we're going to get into Jesus explaining it, but he it's going to end up being analogous to the Old Testament prophets who God sent, or at least who's identified the person. One of the gods identified in the Old Testament sent prophet after prophet after prophet to the same nation of people who were here persecuting Jesus, letting them know things to come. And then again, that's what I meant by prophets. They'd only be considered prophets if the things they said end up coming to pass. Then that sort of gives them the credentials that what they're saying is um, divine. So um, in the parable, Jesus is saying prophet after prophet, servant after servant was sent. And some were beaten, some were killed, some were stoned. And if you read in the Old Testament... Um, that's exactly what happened to prophet after prophet after prophet. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. So, again, you can read in the Old Testament, and most there's minor prophets and there are major prophets. A couple of major ones would be like Elijah, who Jesus says was uh, reincarnated. He doesn't use the word reincarnated, that's a modern word, but he says that Elijah is, that John the Baptist is that Elijah who was to come. Um, only the people just won't receive it. And he says that if you're willing to receive it, and everybody's not going to be willing to receive that teaching just because people are stubborn and used to believing whatever it is they believe, whether it's true or not. And um, so Jesus is saying, um, then last of all, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. So this brings us through all the Old Testament minor prophets, major prophets, and I mentioned the major ones like Isaiah and Elijah um, some of the minor ones would be like Amos, Micah, Obadiah. You can read them in the Old Testament, all pointing to different events that were going on with the same nation. Um, but when the vine dressers saw the sun, that would be up until the time of Jesus, because he sent his son last to the same people. And they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So Jesus has walked us through the timeline of God's interactions with people, sending prophets prophet after prophet after prophet throughout the Old Testament and most likely almost certainly throughout other religions and other um, other cultural beliefs sending people to say there's a God there's a God, there's a God and pointing people toward um, in this 
case the Savior and and then last sending his son sending Jesus and instead of accepting him and um, bearing fruit like the tree that Jesus just cursed instead they crucified him and killed him and even here he says come let us kill him and seize his inheritance thinking that if we get rid of him then that's it that it'll all be ours that'll be the fulfillment that'll be done so they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him um, so this leads us right up to where Jesus is what happened to him with the crucifixion which you know we're reading about Saturday nights therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes what will he do to those vine dressers so Jesus is saying what do you think God is going to do when he comes again and sees what happens to the vineyard he left people here um, to tend to and trust and share crop with what do you think he's gonna do they said to him he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons so the people in the par the people recognize the parable and saying well the logical thing would be would be to do would be to get rid of them and then find more honorable people to share your bounty with and if you think about it in the divine sense it would be god would see these people i've reached out my hand to all day long sending prophet after prophet after prophet being rejected send my son they kill him so last of all why would I keep going after these people instead I'm just gonna go after some other people and extend salvation open to the world that's what Jesus as a believer we believe at least that that's what he sent to do to gather the lost sheep of the house of Israel as he said the Jewish nation the Israelites the Hebrews however you want to describe them who got the prophecies and were the nation that he was to come through and they've preserved it all these years for all the rest of the world to see and believe or reject but not necessarily just for them because like you see he got rejected he was crucified by them so the invitation became open to everyone and even before then but he's saying this is the root of why he's come again and again to the same people and been rejected so at this point send the son and then open an invitation open the salvation to everyone jesus said to them have you ne never read in the scriptures so again jesus uses their own teachings against them or at least confronts them with their own teachings um to shut them down the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone this was the lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes so jesus again here is reflecting uh, back on an old testament passage and he's saying this is the fulfillment of this passage that the stone they're rejecting jesus himself is actually going to be what it's going to be all about and they just don't realize that he's going to be the chief cornerstone. He's going to be the thing that holds it all together after this. Um, and he's saying, and God's the one that's setting it all up. And it's, we're all going to wonder about it, all marvel about it, all see it happen. Let's see. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. So just like I said... If you've come to the same people again and again and again, and you keep, even if you're in a bad situation, again and again and again, eventually you'll say, what have I got to lose? I'm going to try something else different. At worst, I'll be back in a bad situation again, but at best, it'll be something better. So at the same, in the same way, Jesus is saying the kingdom, the promise, the prophecies that you all were supposed to be looking forward to and noticing and checking off and 
telling other people about and drawing them to it's all going to be lost from you and instead giving the people who actually will seek it who will actually care about it who will actually treasure it and nourish it and feed it and share it and whoever falls on this stone will be broken but on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder so jesus is saying i believe he's pointing to his word specifically and that's because again if you try and live by the whole bible you're going to run into contradictions because from making sacrifices to not making sacrifices to being able to eat anything like after the flood to being limited to what you can eat in leviticus it there are contradictions so you can't possibly try to live by both so if you're going to be a christian choose what christ has to say and not just with food, with anything. And what he's saying here is that if you do that, that will be your chief cornerstone. That's going to be your foundation stone, which you can build upon. And the rest will be fine. But if you don't, his very words that you're denying and not living by and not accepting, not willingly, are going to be the same words that crush you. So anyway, like he says there, um, ground, ground to powder. Now when, let's see, the chief priests... And Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. Um, uh, but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared multitudes because they took him for a prophet. So again, the chief priests and Pharisees, and you may want to search this word Pharisees. It lets you know it's, it's the religious people of the time. But not only that, if you search that word and look it up in, um, if you Wikipedia it, you'll see that that whole religion ended just like Jesus said it would. With the destruction of the temple, when the people were seized and the city was conquered in around 70 AD. And you'll see that the same things Jesus told them would happen, did happen, even though they rejected him. And the temple was surrounded and not one stone was left upon another. The wall was, the uh, only thing left now is a piece of the wall. And Jesus told them the temple would be gone. And it was. And they made sure they left not one stone upon another. So let you know that also has been fulfilled. And we've actually fulfilled our reading for the day. I appreciate you checking it out. I hope it was a blessing for you. And that you'll join me again. Uh, we have, um, it's Monday, so it's Matthew. That's what we're reading. Wednesdays, we have our John and Luke reading. And Saturday night, we have our grab bag where we're going to pick up um, in the Acts of Pilate, um, the leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. Very interesting stuff that was left out of the Bible. It should have been in there, I believe, and it would have affirmed a lot of people's faith and filled in a lot of blanks and the details. Anyway, thanks for checking it out. Take care of yourself, wash your hands, love your neighbor, wear your mask, and um, be blessed. Peace.